July 31st, Royal Dutch Shell said it was temporarily shutting down Europe's biggest oil refinery after a pre-dawn fire broke out at a power station on the vast site in the port of Rotterdam. The refinery covers the area equivalent to 800 football pitches and its pipework, if laid end to end, would be long enough to circle the earth four times. August 2nd, Royal Dutch Shell PLC plans to cut more than 400 jobs in the Netherlands, mainly at its major projects in energy technology operations, as the oil giant shifts its business model in response to lower oil prices. August 4th, southern and eastern Europe sweltered in temperatures above 40 degrees Celsius in a heatwave nicknamed Lucifer, which has killed at least two people across the region. In Albania, 300 firefighters and soldiers struggled to contain as many as 75 forest fires and the country asked the European Union for emergency help. August 7th. Leaked emails from the US Department of Agriculture show that staff were told not to use the term climate change since it was not a priority for the new Trump administration. August 15th. Over 500 people were killed and over 20,000 displaced by mudslides in Sierra Leone. Over 600 people are still missing. It was caused by torrential rains and by deforestation to facilitate illegal construction. August 16th. A federal appeals court has led ExxonMobil largely off the hook for a 2013 pipeline spill that deluged a neighbourhood in Mayflower, Arkansas, with more than 200,000 gallons of heavy tar sands crude oil, sickening residents and forcing them from their homes. August 20th. Over 600 people are now dead because of monsoon floods in Bangladesh, Nepal and India. Tens of millions are facing food shortages and disease. The untimely floods being experienced in Nepal, India and Bangladesh can definitely be attributed to climate change induced changes in the South Asian monsoon system, said Dr. Salimul Hok, director of the International Centre for Climate Change and Development. August 22nd. There has been massive and unprecedented flooding in Donegal, Derry and Tyrone with many roads washed away, houses destroyed and at least 100 people in need of rescue. 25,000 homes were left without power at the height of the storm. There were no reports of deaths or serious injury. The UK Met Office said two-thirds of the average rainfall expected in Northern Ireland for the entire month of August fell on Tuesday night. August 25th. Hurricane Harvey hit landfall in Texas with 130 mile per hour winds and inundated many communities with four feet of rain. The death toll so far is 50 and tens of thousands have had to take refuge in shelters. Climate change contributed to the worsening of the storm in a number of ways, including a higher sea level in the area due to coastal subsidence from oil drilling and increasingly warmer sea surface temperatures, which means more moisture in the atmosphere. August 26th. Over 6,000 people took part in camps, blockades and other actions against coal mining in the Rhineland in Germany. These included sit-ins to block coal-fired power stations, a 3,000-person human chain around the Hambacher Forest, which is currently being destroyed by mining, and a blockade of a coal train. And those were the headlines. They were indeed. <laughs> um, welcome to Turning Earth, the seventh episode of Turning Earth, am I right? Now the seventh. This, uh, the third with me. Yeah, fourth. <laughs> fourth with me. Yes, fourth with you. The, this one, um, the theme seems to be gravitating around, I suppose, our running theme, which is uh, government inconsistency. 
and therefore the absolute necessity of popular organizing to get issues taken care of. Um, but before we kind of get on and start digging into different things, um, we want to talk a little bit more about the, some of the headlines there, especially the recent flooding in Donegal and Derry. Yes, and actually um, part of a wider, but in the local sense, there's been some very extreme, they call it once in a hundred year um, event of that kind of severity and extremity. That um, there's, I think there's been there's hundreds of people who had their houses like flooded pretty badly. I think there's something like twenty families in Donegal just who are like p- displaced for the time being from their house. Their houses so badly. But if you see some pictures of the on the roads, like the tractor upside down in the road that's disappeared, yeah, and, like a whole section of road just gone. Yeah, there's multiple roads that the road it was just literally just washed away. Yeah. So um, it's like quite the actual incre- physical road. Is yeah, it's not it's, there anymore. It's something that you yeah. couldn't imagine until like this, you know, this time that has happened. I've never seen anything. Well, I've only seen the pictures of it, but I've never seen anything so extreme as that. Not um, from, from a rain of a rain, extreme rain weather event. Um, so it's really quite frightening, and um, it's done a lot of damage uh, there locally. Um, you know, we were chatting earlier on about uh, um, Kevin O'Sullivan, who's the. Uh, climate editor in the Irish Times making a point in an article just in the last week that even though climate change, human caused climate change is going to make these weather events more extreme and more frequent at the same time you couldn't blame climate change for causing this event to happen at all and that they would happen otherwise which I don't think anybody who's arguing or certainly I'm not making that argument at all mm. but actually that the fact that they're making it more extreme is exactly the, the fact that human caused climate change burning fossil fuels is making these events more extreme than they would have been. They, yeah. It would have happened anyway, but it wouldn't have been quite this bad, and it would have been a little bit less likely. It could have it could have been a longer period of time before it happens and less frequent. Now it's going to be more frequent, which you know that means that we're going to have to start thinking very seriously about how to make the uh, infrastructure, houses, every, roads, everything, yeah. um, very 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 climate proof for the the rare very extreme events because they're not going to be so rare now. And it's, it, and it's kind of the opposite is what we are doing because it's not just of course the climate change making the weather worse that's the issue there it's also through other human activity we've we've made huge huge parts of the country um less resistant to floods and things like that absolutely by, deforestation by cutting down trees, for example cutting up bogs uh, bogs need to remain concrete. Bogs are something that they're yeah. carbon, they're natural carbon sinks too, just yeah, the same yeah. way the trees are. But like, so there's been a lot of devastation, and you know, and I think that like authorities on both sides of the border were criticised for not releasing funds as quickly as possible, not sending in the army. I think straight away. I think they sent them in like maybe 24 hours later mm-hmm. after the actual event, because they, I think maybe they didn't quite understand how bad it was. Maybe then they maybe saw some pictures and then. Something along those lines happened. I think in 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 the north, though, like in Northern Ireland, they did actually send um, immediately a flood relief, but uh, as in funds, I should say, to help yeah. to deal with it. But uh, but uh, on our side of the border, border, they did not. They waited. They waited for a while. Uh, it was only just very the other far day. away from Dublin. Yeah, and it was only just the mm-hmm. other day that the Taoiseach declared an official, uh, an official um, climate, official environmental disaster that allowed mm-hmm. it to be basically straight away given more funds to be able to deal with the disaster but like I it's mean, very easy for us on this side of the country to kind of be out of touch with what's going on up there um, as evidenced by the we, we did an episode in the original series of this we did an episode on gold mining focusing specifically on the Inishon Peninsula yeah. and I, I decided to look that up again recently speaking about stuff now that is going to make areas less resistant to flooding mining would be a major contributor to that if it's not done correctly um, and so yeah, I, I looked it up again there recently, and there's still that that exploration is still ongoing. We spoke to um, to John Teeling, the chairman of that of Connemara uh, Mining, last year, uh, and uh, they're they're still exploring in Ishone. And we kind of touch on this a little later in the interview with um, Sinead Mercier, 
um, the kind of pursuit of things that aren't even going to be profitable. So, like, they were talking about They're high oil. risk. Yeah, high risk, exactly. Yeah, we, we talk about that a lot more later. But, but looking at it in its own now, the fact that this kind of extreme rain has happened there and the fact that there's the potential for a gold mine to be set up there that's really scary because the, the, you can go and listen to the gold mine episode if you want to learn about how gold mining works but in a nutshell it involves cutting up huge 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 like tons upon tons of earth and throwing cyanide on these big piles of rubble and clay and stuff yeah. and then leaching the gold out so imagine if that was going ahead while a weather event like this happened yeah and I think of that then that could because it's flooding then imagine like you're, you're talking about water sources getting mixed together or, or not even necessarily drinking water sources but still local in, in the ocean uh, destroying like the ecology systems there because you've got yeah. releasing cyanide out through that's already a danger together. even without extreme flooding you know? yeah no but it's and then but the two things together is like it's like uh, mixing two drugs together that don't go together yeah, like yeah. you're going to have a very bad experience and even without the cyanide like just the 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 effect that mining can have on a landscape if it's not properly done and not properly cleaned up after it just makes it more likely to flood and less less able to cope with flooding which is something that happens in a lot of different parts of the world so yeah, yeah. The things are not um, as clean as we were told that they were going to be when they t- undertake such uh, drilling actions and mining and the like they're naturally destructive and naturally just damaging to the area they're in so um, it was interesting that this happened and actually you know there's been something like 500 people now killed in Sierra Leone the, the mudslides that happened just shortly before that, um, about a week or so before that, and um, there's it's a lot of incredible amount of devastation. There's so many, <laughs> there's so many body parts that they they can't tell how many bodies there are. Fucking hell! So it's um it's crazy what's happening there, and mm. like that you're talking about, like basically that was also like I mean that's not not comparable. I mean this was. 500 people dying it was a catastrophe and, and all the people obviously have lost their homes thousands of people now yeah, yeah. on that but um, this was and part of the thing there was deforestation making the land much less I'm sure it would have been disastrous anyhow but may not have been such bad you know mudslides if all the forestry that was in that area could have sure, the trees sure being there keep it the, water resistant yeah exactly the roots of the trees keeps the earth together and it shields it from, from the worst of the rain so water it, it, I mean it stands to reason that it wouldn't have been as bad if it hadn't been deforested. Absolutely, like. absolutely, and yeah. a lot of people now have died because of that. So, so um, so and like that's that's be, that, that they are two really good examples, or really terrible examples rather, because like Ireland and the UK as well, and other areas around the world are what James Lovelock called uh, the 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 islands of habitability in the future, as in that we're in the area that will receive the kind of the least devastating effects of more extreme weather events. Sierra Leone is, it's equatorial, is it? So it's like, it's, yeah. So it's like yeah. right there where the worst kind of, or where the most extreme weather is going to be happening. Yeah. But you see what happened, you like, look at Donegal, like that's, that's the easy stuff. That's the lower yeah. end of the scale. Absolutely, yeah, yeah so absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it really well illustrates the kind of, the severity of the situation that we're in. Not that we're, that we're coming up against, but that we're in right now and that it's just only going to get worse. Unless something's done about it, absolutely. Unless the, many things. The only upshot, it. you know, maybe this is like strange way of putting it, but the only upshot of it is that like it, it gives an opportunity then to make the point that like it starts to become not something that's so far away, and mm. like start it starts to become real to people. So at least we can use it to like we need to kind of make it like on the tip of everyone's tongue, you know. Yeah. yeah. 
So I think we can do that. Um, but it also it also raises very important questions. Things like, as I said, you know, infra- and just the, the landscape. I mean, the environment, yeah. But like the landscape. So, so so you know, as I said, you know, reforesta- reforestation and that kind of thing, and, yeah, yeah. and moving away from the types of activities, industrial and agricultural and all that. You that mean needs- cow farming. But yes, our beloved cow farming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Say, and also, actually, you know, the Amazon—they've uh, um, taken away certain areas of protect. Amazon's being destroyed at a rate of knots for exactly that kind of thing. In many cases illegally, mm-hmm. but they've just made a part of the Amazon now unprotected. So um, right. the part that they weren't destroying now, they'd be allowed to destroy it as well. Oh, very good. So that's exactly the same kind of activity. That's you know, if you want to stop that kind of disasters happening, and general because of carbon sinks as well for all sorts of reasons. That's exactly the opposite of what should be going on. Yeah. yeah. And um, but you know, so we think a lot about the future and what we're going to build, and also what kind of activities we need to change and give people economic act- opportunities that are actually compatible with keeping the earth, um, keeping yeah, more yeah. trees and keeping the earth in better condition and less concrete required and. More sh- things like yeah. more shared um, transport and less cars, all that kind of thing. Yeah. We're getting off of the big things here, but it really brings it home. Like when but this happens, this is the consequence of these there's things. A, an opportunity coming up now. I believe the the next citizens assembly is going to be on climate change, and that's coming up on the thirtieth of September, I think, or maybe is it in October? I'm not sure. It's going up in the next month or two, anyway. And um, that's uh, the submissions were all in for that by the eleventh of August. I think there was something like twelve hundred submissions made from individuals and from. It's not uh, bad. NGOs and from different groups. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what the outcome of that is. I imagine if it's at like the assembly on abortion, it'll be a lot more reasonable than the government expects it to be. A lot less conservative and a lot more reasonable. Absolutely. Now, the only scary precedent there is, as what happened with it was, it was not was not surprising to me personally, and probably to a lot of people. The outcome people of that. Surprising. Yeah, yeah. But. Well, you know, because with people's like opinions of things, I guess their it sounds like their opinion probably changed in the process of doing it. Mm. But I think that like it's I didn't I didn't find it surprising because that's be, like people are are a lot more common sense and like I, you know the elite mindset is like people are like this and they're actually the politicians are always behind the curve of understanding yeah, yeah, yeah. where people like public opinion is really going and they they never imagined they they couldn't fathom the idea that they would have come up with such a basically such a pro-choice outcome. Yeah. But um, a lot of it is common sense when you're actually given the chance to sit down and talk about it. Like you might ask someone who hasn't been thinking about it, and maybe they'll have a knee-jerk reaction. But when you actually, you know, when you pick it apart, it when the debate starts to happen, it be, it becomes a bit of common sense. I mean, come on, you're talking about basic medical procedures that happen in most countries in Europe and pretty much almost any country. We're one of this is one of our little banana republic, little yeah. kind of ex-colonial um, hangovers. Like, yeah. like, like. Sorry, yeah, I don't want to go off on, on, on too much of a tangent there. I go on a little bit of a tangent though you can well to go on a slight bit of a tangent there was in I think three different countries it was Lebanon and Tunisia and Jordan there was these basically marriage rape laws that were repealed these horrible colonial um, uh, something that was left behind by the British basically and the mm. French in the respective countries which was that if a man raped a woman and then married her he didn't he wasn't prosecuted for it yeah, yeah. So, um, and there's always this assumption that, oh yeah, it's an Islam thing. It was from the French and the British. They brought that over and started that and then they just never got rid of it when they were mm. kicked out of the country. Like, so that's, that, you know, that, these, are, these are the kind of things that happen in, um, in, in countries that need to, you know, we're kind of playing a bit of catch up with our own society, aren't we, in a way? Yeah. But I mean, look, you know, common sense prevails in, in mm. not all the time, but a lot of times it does, you know? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't look like it's going to necessarily stir the government to any action because they seem to have more or less ignored this is the what I'm scared of that of. assembly, but this it's still it's still a really I think it's still really important and really really good because it's like it's it's better that it happens. Yeah, 
It's it, it show it show it's an expression of the will of a good portion of the population. I was about to say it's an expression of the will of the people, but I wouldn't go that far because you have to be a citizen to go. Not everyone who lives in Ireland is allowed to take part in this. You have to be a citizen. It's like randomly selected from the voting population, I suppose. But it's still it's a pretty good expression of like what a lot of people are feeling. The one fatal, well, potentially fatal flaw with it is as a process is none of the outcomes are binding. Yeah, the yeah. government still sits down and based on its own political calculations draws up based on their political calculations there's nothing in that that's legally binding saying this yeah, was the yeah. outcome you have to make this law as it is not in the slightest the ministers still just write up whatever they want it's still yeah. Paris still all concentrated with the ministers yeah well you couldn't make it legal then it'd be it'd be anarchy wouldn't it we couldn't, have that. <laughs> we couldn't be having that now so there's a lot uh, yeah so we didn't want to go on too much tangents there but there's interesting parallels in, in certain spheres that are going on there that we just wanted to point out so the citizens assembly could be very positive it'll definitely be very good for debating and making gauging you know what people really think yeah, yeah, yeah. when they've had a chance you know to actually talk about it and the good thing about citizens assembly is that it does genuinely seem to be even though it was a kick in the can down the road tactic by Fianna Fáil Fianna Fine Gael excuse me and that was mm-hmm. Enda Kenny's um classic manoeuvre is just don't deal with anything just push it down further so it can be dealt with by someone else later on yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enda Kenny the biggest coward of a Taoiseach possibly yeah, yeah. ever I don't well know. I mean that's a pretty common political tactic but Enda Kenny's pretty good at it yeah he's very very good at Fine it in general actually excel at it but despite all of that it does take from quite a section of society and they do get a chance to really so they c- could come up with some good recommendations I suppose where the the campaigning bit comes in is forcing the government then to make the p- political calculation of actually implementing what comes mm. out of it. Right, so on, on the subject of uh, community organising and uh, campaigning, um, we wanted to kind of focus on that and st- stress the importance of that in this episode for a lot of reasons, but especially in the wake of uh, what happened in Charlottesville with the, uh, the clashes the between anti-fascists and... I guess a broad coalition of right wing people. Um, yeah, which ended up in a person getting killed. So yeah, um, yeah so one one person uh, drove a car, and after basically they were the original right wing group, the alt right and the KKK and all all the other groups that came from, I believe, all over the country. In fact, were kind of stopped from assembling in their main area, and there was kind of clashes between them and the anti anti fascist groups. Um, not quite I don't think it got too I think it was serious enough but not too very serious until later on they were kind of pushed out and held out and apparently the police apparently didn't intervene much they kind of let them clash to a relatively light degree but then later on one young guy um, drove his car at speed into the crowd injuring many people and killing one woman um, so it was quite extreme uh, <laughs> turn of events so uh, um, I kind of like it, a desperation move after them being basically being kept out of a certain part of town. Yeah. And it might not be, be obvious at first why we're talking about this on an environmental podcast, but there are many reasons that we can link into that and we're gonna start talking about them now. Just in the it's it's important because in both cases, whether you're trying to get action on climate or whether you're trying to resist racist organising, you can't we can't rely on anyone but ourselves for that kind of stuff. We need to band together as you know Concerned people, concerned citizens, concerned concerned humans, whatever you want to call us. Yeah. Um, One of the main reasons, uh, raison d'etre of the types of the alt-right groups and the likes of the KKK is that Richard Spencer, who's the head of the National Policy Institute in America, he said before that he believes there should be absolutely zero migration inwards into the United States. So nobody, absolutely nobody can come in. It's just ours. We, we own it, you know. Mm. And he talks about things like, this is a great phrase, right? Peaceful ethnic cleansing. Jesus. 
Have you ever heard of any type of ethnic cleansing that was peaceful? It involves killing people and displacing them. It's, it's, it happens in extreme war situations. So this is the kind of people that were against it. You know, both just as like decent human beings, but also as environmentalists. We know that they're huge areas of the world that are very soon, this is right around the corner, going to be uninhabitable. Yeah. So one of the things that's necessary, we talked earlier about, you know, things like infrastructure in the future, but one of the things that's necessary is a huge policy change where we do allow people that are coming from areas that are unlivable. It's absolutely we're, vital. We're going to have we're, thousands, if not millions of climate refugees. We're on a trajectory now where, you know, we've talked a little bit about extreme weather events already, but even excluding that, there'll be areas of the Middle East and of Saharan Africa that in the next few decades will be literally just too hot for people to exist in them. Absolutely. Not like, no, we're not talking about infrastructure breaking down, we're not talking about the weather getting worse, we're talking about and in the Middle it will East. be so hot that the human body will just not be able to exist there. No, it's not hot, yeah. So, I mean, we have lit- we've, we've no choice but to, to figure out how to accommodate these people. There were people. parts of, I think it was Iraq and somewhere else recently where it got to pretty close to 50 degrees. Pakistan, it got to 54 54 yeah. 54 degrees Celsius can you believe it like it's insanity so this is right around the corner and the, the, well so that's the reason why we're talking about these particular groups that are that say things like they want zero net migration it's a country like America needs to be a country like America needs to be top of the list oh, for yeah. taking people in if you consider like if we're because this is another convers- conversation that needs to be had is the fair balance of like who takes in what according to their capabilities America is the richest country in the world it's it's overall influence is, is on the decline globally but it's still the most powerful and richest country in the world regardless of that and it's definitely going to be high up there in terms of needing to have so the, the the thoughts and I suppose basically what I'm saying getting at here is the policy who influences the policy the official policy and how that needs to change we need to influence that I mean thinking from a strategic point of view you know like yeah. I'm I'm not necessarily the person who believes in government but I believe in influencing government at the very very least because yeah. this kind of thing we need to happen straight and the away. only way to do that is by organising we see that any, any yeah, time grassroots organising like absolutely the, you can t- talk with that in the context of the, of the fracking ban that didn't happen just because Fianna Gael left to their own devices worked out that it was the best thing for the county it happened because there was a huge popular movement there against it it was really well organised and there was also I, I, I would say the, the, the lingering memory of the Shell Sea campaign the recent memory of the water charges campaign they, they know now what people can do when they band together and when they when they work towards a common goal and I think it was obvious by the way that the anti-fracking campaign was building and was was remaining that the, it wasn't going to go away and if 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 the threat of fracking became more and more immediate that it would step up and it would do what needed to be done to stop there was it. a lot of activity all around the country in different parts that were relevant to it you know yeah. as much as like places like Sligo and Fermanagh and anywhere else that was like located Carrick Fergus as well mm. there's been a lot of like local activities to stop and anything going on so um, so yeah the absolute, that's the only way that we have going forward from here so uh, you know we need to oppose we need to figure out how to influence our governments to allow people who are climate refugees to come in basically To bring the focus back, definitely to Ireland, the um, the inconsistency of the government has been pretty obvious now over the last few few months as they ban fracking and then 
give out these new licenses for oil and gas drilling and oh, they, sure. they continually uh, give funding to third level courses for oil and gas exploration and there's also the planned liquefied natural gas terminals um, and all of these things are things that we spoke to Sinead Mercier about a couple of days ago and uh, we'll uh, play that chat for you now so today we're talking to Sinead Mercier am I saying your, your name correctly? yes you heard uh, yeah from the uh, Not Here Not Anywhere yeah. campaign um, Sinead would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not pronounced Mercier because my parents were dubs, <laughs> like <laughs> Mercier. <laughs> but um, yes, I'm I'm a researcher with the Green Party, uh, and before that, I worked with uh, law firm Philip Lee, and um, I'm engaged in a lot of activism in Occupy LSC and then other groups, uh, Friends of the Earth, um, Three Fifty Ireland, and others as well. So, yeah. So what what can you tell us about the um, the 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 oil licenses that are so there's one off the west coast and one off the east coast, is it? Uh, there's actually if there's there's several of them. So um, each year the Irish government uh, um, grants. Um, th- so there's there's a no- number of licenses in the Irish in the Irish Sea, uh, and also in the Atlantic as well. But um, each year, uh, oil and gas companies ask for consent to drill, and this year consent was g- given to Providence Resources, which is an oil and gas company, um, and they were granted consent to drill in the southwest in the Porcupine Basin, which is off the coast of Kerry and Cork. Uh, they have licenses to drill as well in Kish Basin, which is about um, four kilometer, six to four kilometers from the forty foot. Uh, mm-hmm. um, so there's another oil field potentially there, and they also have licenses to um, drill down near Kinsale and up near further to Galway as well. But this year, the current they did they are drilling um, at the moment in uh, the southwest basin the porcupine bank which is deeply important for a number of reasons yeah. so and i heard the latest on that was that they'd, they'd met water is that right yeah yeah so, so they they found nothing uh the first one but they're drilling now for a second hole in the same area uh and this this is the point like there there's there's nothing there um which is there's about 130 chance of finding oil um or gas in irish in irish seas um over the past couple of couple of decades they've only found two gas fields kinsale and carb they found a bit of oil in barry road which is down near um, Cork again but that was found to be not commercially viable at all mm. um, and so th- it's it, the drilling however is deeply damaging to sea life and the Porcupine Basin is uh, d- very very important because of our um, uh, for mackerel fishing so it's where most of the mackerel spawning happens right. and mackerel now is one of is Ireland's largest uh, EU quota when it comes to fishing so most of our fishing fleet um, would get most of their profits most of their money from mackerel um, so the problem there with drilling in that area is it, it like it's, it's deeply dangerous it's also very dangerous for plankton um, it has massive knock-on effects that aren't really known so 64% of plankton of um, zooplankton which is one of the bases of the, ecos- of the marine ecosystem in the area is destroyed by um, w- within a half mile if you drill yeah. um, so that the seismic noises and it's there is a record number of dolphins dead on beaches um, 18 dolphins last year um, and now that could be linked to super trawlers but it, um, it's also one year it was also a very a year of heavy seismic exploration so mapping oh, the seabed for oil and gas okay um, so and it's also uh, the Porcupine Bank is like a deep sea uh, cold water reef. So it, it's that was only found quite recently, yeah, yeah. Uh, pristine, like beautiful coral reef. Uh, and it's also um, the like from a mythical perspective, kind of like with, with carb as well. And um, the kind of links to mythology in the area. It's um, 
It's where uh, Tyr and Oak is. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so like the land. You can't take Tyr and Oak. <laughs> yeah. That's all. That's I know, ours. I know. And it's like so ironic that they're destroying this kind of. They're destroying the 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 oak. They're destroying the future by drilling yeah, yeah. here. Well, they it's probably won't. Poetic, find. Right. Yeah, That's, yeah, yeah. Pretty <laughs> awful. I know. It's yeah. the la- It's like high Brazil. It's this land. It's this island that appears every se- seven years out of uh, out of mist, and it's where Neve comes from. But um, I was wondering, how do exploration companies, whether it's for oil and gas or prospecting companies for gold, we were talking to a guy from Connemara Mining before, and I, ah. I, I, it baffled me how. Do they actually make money? Because like, he he was full sure they were going to find gold, but fairly sure that they weren't going to find commercially viable gold. So likewise, yeah. how do these companies like generate income for themselves if they're not actually coming up with any product to sell? Are yeah. they high risk? I don't understand how that works. Yeah, like they're massively. They got lucky, maybe. <laughs> the only, yeah. Qu- the only, yeah. Mm. It is like it's very high risk. Like if you Google Providence Resources, you'll find it's. Uh, I don't know what I can say now when I get caught for like that. Live. But um, I had an article pulled there that was pretty vicious, but it was like, but, um, <laughs> but like it is like if you Google them, you'll find that they're like 70 percent in debt. They're sixty percent um, one time. They're bailed out by ExxonMobil. Like I'm, I'm not an expert Jeez. now in financial markets, but a, a lot of it is actually speculation. And the way that financialization operates today uh, in terms of like if you have this company that has all these projects in the long run, mm. um, they they mightn't even have one that's operating yet uh, but they'll they'll manage they to make one that actually works yeah they just need one that works and they need to show there's a number of different projects uh, um, happening in order to gain financial capital keep their mm. kind of liquid yeah. money flow going but a lot of it is speculation it's financial speculation um, and who, who who knows like somebody mightn't even be that interested in oil and gas so just in, invest it in for the time being for yeah, like yeah. switching money around um, but it is a the Barry Row oil field um, was found to be not commercially viable so they're still looking into it Kish Basin is there might be some probably not uh, and now for, like as an example now that oil field that oil well that was plant that was turned out to be just water they said there's going to be 5 billion barrels of oil there you know mm. and there's nothing you know so it's kind of a question of why are you, why are you bothering to damage like the, the the very act of drilling itself damages yeah, yeah. everything that's there damages our tourism like Ireland seas were claimed to be were um specified as the only EU uh, special area of, of protect um not a EU a special area for the protection of cetaceans so like dolphin and whales and so on um, so why are we drilling that area when we had this fantastic like you can see dolphins in the Liffey when you go down anywhere to the west you can see dolphins and porpoises and whales mm. why put that at risk um, for something that isn't viable you yeah. know so and, and even if they do prove commercially viable like the it's uh, maybe I might be over optimistic in saying this but it does seem like petrochemical oil and gas is like kind of on the back foot against oh. renewables at this stage like oh it's yeah complete like they've yeah. lost 450,000 jobs in the oil and gas industry since 2014 like there's no jobs in the area at all yeah. and like the oil the North Sea now lost 170,000 jobs um, that's up near like Scotland there's no jobs in it um uh, and it's it's a it's a dying industry. Putting up this infrastructure is just going to create what's called stranded assets. So, once mm. you've put huge money into this, the government has put massive money into it, and it just results in nothing. You know, yeah, um, yeah. and like uh, talking about like obviously the elephant in the room is climate change. I mean, why are you doing any of this? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. it's just bonkers. You know, like. Yeah. 
It's a strange yeah. position to be in because, you know, traditionally as environmentalists, you'd be making the argument against it purely for environment for climate for the re- for reasons of climate change. But now, we've even got the economic argument like kind of undeniably on our side now. And why is it? Why do we still need to make the argument then when you've got all of this stacked against it? Part of it is a lack of imagination. That's part of it. Like, mm. there's there's more to mm. it than that though. But like, um, yeah, the potential for short-term profit like if you dig and then you find gas or oil then you're in the money but it's just it's a gamble you mm. might find it or not like you know what I mean but they're just looking for that like that short-term gain straight off like so is know? it a buzz thing with them is it like a, no but like but they if they, they if it turned out that it was that there actually was something there mm. they would have benefited a lot personally and in the short term you know what I mean mm. so um it didn't gamble didn't work out this time but it doesn't mean it won't work out in the future in other particular yeah, yeah. yeah you know trying so it's addressing to... that short term profit motivation that's basically like what the enemy is in a sense yeah mm. totally and like there's um there's a great book called oil gas in the irish state by amanda slevin uh, she's she's actually an amazing academic researcher that's done uh, a lot of work good, yeah. yeah have you met her as yeah, well yeah. yeah yeah she's great she's cool but um she did a lot of work on looking at like what actually is the ideology of the department um mm what's it called it's called the department of decay now it's like <laughs> yeah i know that's the official name <laughs> it's like it's like the the department of climate action communications and what is it yeah you, yeah, you, that, you yeah, yeah, yeah. There. climate action it's a, that sounds great though <laughs> climate amazing, action yeah, yeah. no no action, not just climate change no we're doing things yes by virtue of action being. yeah they're doing nothing but anyway exactly. but uh, <laughs> but yeah but she she kind of looks at like this Ugh. that like just what you said this kind of short-termism this belief that there's something there keep going and like they they subsidize the industry so much as well like they've got these scholarships now um for petroleum exploration they're currently mapping the migration patterns of of like dolphins and whales um for the oil and gas industries it's like basically conducting environmental impact assessments for them like it's a huge giveaway huge giveaway yeah. of time and resources all that time that could be like in the actually I have a figure here in the same time oh yeah so there's this green news website and journalist Niall Sargent is great but since 2007 2016 the department decay has given 250,000 for scholarships um uh, to the oil and gas industry and no funding has been issued to environmental scholarships in that time so Jesus. and they received the 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 department actually received 7.5 million from ENI which is an Italian company that is like involved in a massive Nigerian corruption and human rights scandal. So it's an example of their kind of short-termism which mm. like I know it's it's an argument made by a lot of the kind of left in Ireland as well that we should nationalize the oil and gas resources that we have but like at this point in time now like as you were saying there's just no money in it mm. what we should be focusing on is nationalizing wind and renewables and like the wind sector it, like the kind of ideology in the part of the department when it comes to oil and gas like giving away all the resources handing them up on a platter to people mm. uh, that, that large multinationals that might be massively in debt um is the same sort of approach they have when it comes to wind and solar as well like yeah, it's yeah. massive multinationals who um have like a very old colonial lease program which is the same kind of colonial lease that they have um, for oil and gas so a farmer rents his land to a wind farm and the, the and the wind farm just pays him a rent while in other countries like it's much easier for the farmer himself to build a wind farm yeah, yeah. Um, so like loads of kind of little switches in the thinking of that like this kind of post-colonial ideology that's going on really needs to be it's tackled you know? even there. 
Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure they think, like in the department, look, we're so forward thinking, we're doing this, that and the other on climate change, agribusiness, um, all this kind of stuff. But like it's it's a it's it's very I don't know if you saw that article by Megan Nolan about Fine Gael. No. Um, it was really good that like it was pretty vicious like Fine Gael were going absolutely mad it was great but, <laughs> <laughs> but like um, like ingratiating policy like it's mm. it's like bend over do anything you can try I shouldn't do it. cut that out that's that's really in this bad language <laughs> no I'm leaving that bit in definitely no don't <laughs> that's not right you should be saying that but um, no it. don't <laughs> But like, you know, kind of like a willful sacrifice of of anything we have, just offering it up. Like it's mm. it's such a mad short termist That's also post colonial as well. Yeah. We're yeah. so weak, we just need to just oh, we think we are. But we're not weak. It's the it's that kind of the royal, that class. The royal we, the state, yeah. we are and we aren't in reality, but um it's not entirely based on you know, we're weak we're weak in some ways, not in other ways, you know? Yeah. Mm. But the the people aren't, you know, I have faith in the people. Absolutely, absolutely. No, no, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't. I, I, I was not seen to disagree with that statement. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm not cool anymore. Let no, no, no. it be known nope. within the podcast he disagreed nope. with the statement. <laughs> I was about to say we've drifted off topic a bit, but I don't think we have because I don't think we really had a solid topic to begin with. But uh, another thing we wanted to talk about um, was uh, you mentioned to me on the phone the other day the liquefied natural gas terminals. Oh yes, for, yeah. Maybe explain a bit first what liquefied natural gas actually is and. It's just, it's basically just um, it's it's liquefied natural gas. It's gas that's been changed to liquid to make it easier to transport, and then mm. it gets re-gasified. I don't know what the proper word is. It gets turned into gas again at the source, and then it's put into ingatiated. 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 It's a nice word uh, yes. for, for a terrible process. Um, but there's these uh, terminals being planned for Cork, is it, and where else? Uh, yeah, so the LNG, um, they're called LNG terminals with liquid natural gas. And what it mo- they're going to build one, um, they were going to build one in Shannon, but um, the local community there and others, um, they discovered that they were going to put into these into play these things called long-term purchase contracts with the Irish state. So what what these are, um, an example of it was with the motorways. So there was recently an article there where the Irish government paid $26 million to um, motorway operating companies and that's because even though because they made they lost money because people weren't using the motorways and mm. um, which is with and so they destroyed all those lovely trees and the then the downs for motorways we now pay for double over but and so that's what a long-term purchase yeah. agreement is it's that like you the state um guarantees the company that they will make profit no matter what happens um and this happens uh, in situations with wind energy quite regularly because wind goes up and down um yeah. so sometimes it's supported by subsidies sometimes uh, the wind flow mightn't be that high but it's it's quite small scale and wind is naturally going to grow um, and become a much more important issue for us um, and needed but the issue with gas is that you're putting in infrastructure which is going to be there for maybe um, I think they're saying now uh, for at least 20 years if not 30 years so you're putting in long-term infrastructure taking gas from the US um, fracked gas so gas that's the result of fracking and destroying water supplies in the US and bringing it over to Ireland um, and shipping it in and placing long term infrastructure that can set, send it all across um, the EU and the issues with that is that our gas usage is going down rapidly mm. um, because we're using more and more renewables and also because gas is like extremely cheap at the moment there's a gas flood uh, and we have um, la- loads of these terminals already across Europe so the fact that we're building 
um, potentially to in Ireland is just mad. And the fact that the government will have to guarantee the profits of a company building them mm. no matter what, um, when we should be moving, using that money, the government money to... Why are they not taking the risk them? that they can possibly lose on? Why is that not, not a possibility? Even if like everything else is the same. Why is it like, oh, we, we made no money. We, we, we made the risk. Why, why is it socially guaranteed by the Irish government, in other words? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> That's the question, isn't it? Like, I suppose it's just uh, this desperation to attract companies, you know, no attract what, jobs. Yeah. Me and Tommy know about that. Do you? Why? <laughs> yeah, the entry going through. Oh, yeah, the fucking tower campaign. That was it. it was the same thing. Oh, right, it made okay. less money, But it made less money, be, that, that motorway with the two tolls. Made yeah. less money because less people took it. And now they're giving them shit loads of fucking money to make up for the money that they thought they were going to make. Oh, God. That some genius in a room just invented off the top of his fucking head. And now we are paying for that. <laughs> but of course, when he said that years ago, we were told, ah, you're just a bunch of hippies and blow-ins. What do you know? <laughs> yeah, blow-ins, even though actually... We have a bit of, chip, bit of a chip on the shoulder. Actually not blow <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jesus. So you mentioned earlier that you um, you work with trade unions in kind of looking at how we can transition from a carbon intensive co- economy to uh, one based on renewables and one, that, one that's more sustainable. And that's one of the things we want to look at, especially in this podcast, is how to, uh, and it's something that's left out of environmental conversations a lot, is how to protect workers and how to m- ensure that people are still able to su- sustain themselves moving forward. Like That should mm. be part of the sustainability conversation as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Sustain people, sustain the environment. It's yeah. all part of the same. Yeah. People and planet before profit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I do. I do a good bit of work with um, uh, with SIP2 trade unions. So they represent represent a lot of um peat workers, um, and the problem there is that peat plants, peat uh, turf. Like I, I'm actually going to turn the turf this weekend. At my <laughs> we have a we have a bog at home, but uh, like t- turf and. Jeez, you're more real I know. than I am. <laughs> It's Never good. Turned it's good. My fucking life. Really? Oh, it's good. It's good. <laughs> no, it's terrible. Should be it's terrible. <laughs> but um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> but like, ter- um, <laughs> so peat is like one of the most carbon intensive fuels, you know. And mm. I say that as someone that's going to turn the peat this weekend. But like, it's um, it is very high on that scale, though. Seriously. Yeah, mm. it is. It's really damaging, and the damage it causes to biodiversity as well. Yeah, um, yeah. like you, you can see it from space when you zoom in in like the Midlands. It's all like these black, just black, and it's just um completely cut. Uh, bog, cut you away, know? Yeah, yeah mm. completely cut away, and that's like flooding, for example, now flooding in Donegal. Um, like bogs are very, very helpful for sequestering. Flooding, ab- um. apocalyptic devastation. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. It was like it was crazy, but well, anyway. But um, yeah, so but the the and with oil and gas as well. I mean, like I just said, like since mid two thousand fourteen, you've got four hundred and forty thousand jobs gone worldwide in, in oil and gas. Um, the peat plants are being demanded to be closed down by environmentalist groups as soon as possible. Um, but you're talking about one thousand six hundred jobs, and currently, what the government's perspective is, um, same as when it comes to everything else, is just do nothing, do absolutely nothing. Mm. Um, Board and Mona are kind of engaging with the trade unions on it, but not as good as they could be. There's still pay rises needed for years and years now there's um 
uh, for people working in the area. And you're talking about people who've worked for like four generations in peat plants, mm. and they're they're proud. Like it, it's a it's a proud tradition. Like we didn't know about and, and climate they needed change. Too, like, they know? needed to. Like I mean, we talk about energy sovereignty now. Like the, the state wouldn't have been able to do anything without those bogs, you know, yeah, yeah. and without the workers who did it. Um, and like your the the blame. Um, should never be on ordinary people who were doing good work, good hard work. It should yeah. be on people like Exxon Mobil who knew since the seventies that climate change was being caused. Of course, yeah, yeah. Um, and it should be on the state now. That the state is doing nothing. It's just waiting for redundancies. Yeah. When really there's loads of opportunities there. People that could work in other industries that could be supported with um, uh, good social welfare programs, retraining programs, um, lots of fantastic transferable skills that could be used in other areas in in a green economy. Um, like there was a report there by David Connolly. Um, it's it's often used, uh, but like he he said that there's about a hundred thousand jobs if we start investing now. And, and this is it. It's like nice time. Yeah. Now you need long term thinking. Um, like I was reading, um, Roosevelt's speeches there. Like I mean, you're talking about a centrist politician. Like totally like it serves three terms like completely like run-of-the-mill normal um guy uh, well not normal guy but like normal politics it wasn't particularly radical to do yeah, any yeah. of the stuff that he did and the kind of new deal programs boosted the state the, the states and made them what they were and like i just i don't understand why climate change isn't seen in that same context it's not a loss um it's just a, it's it's a it's a demand that we orientate we reorientate the economy to actually focus on investing in people, not seeing them as resources to be exploited in the same that we exploit oil and gas, but seeing yeah, yeah, as yeah. things to use in a good and positive way as inherent goods in and of themselves. Like, what is our state for? Like, if it's not to help the people who used to work in the in the peat factories, you yeah, know, yeah. like, hmm. what what are we if we're not a state that does that? And that's the kind of perspective I think that's that's needed. You know, it's like going to the shops and saying, "Oh, I'm going to buy an organic cotton T-shirt and not care." that it was made some child in China yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. so you need to integrate the two you know mm. so and a lack of uh, this is just what I think but like lack of like a long term vision of that like it's just like in the short term this is great but in the long term where is that headed you know yeah yeah totally, for me yeah mm. it's mad it's uh, yeah total and I think like I'm not sure maybe it's post-colonialism um, maybe it's lack of education uh, on the part of kind of the people who are in power who don't fully understand the ramifications of what they're dealing with when it comes to climate change. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't think Sean Kine and Dennis Norton actually knew much about the issue, and now they're in government and they're I like, was... ah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. it's actually massive. I'm going to this EU conference and it's like, whoa, <laughs> what was I doing? <laughs> like, do you know, so I think they got a dose of reality. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's I mean a lot. Most, if not all, Irish politicians kind of give off that air of charming obliviousness. <laughs> like, you know, a, a Taoiseach and fucking talking about Hugh Grant ah, should when be he grand. goes to visit number 10 or whatever. Hugh you know. Grant. <laughs> like, yeah, and in some ways, like, yeah, that's probably why we don't have fascism, do you know, like everything. <laughs> Which is a good we thing, need it. you know, yeah. we know we're not there. But like, people, there are, politicians are approachable in most respects and they're generally quite focused on parochialism. No, so. politics is co- quite restricted here in the sense that like, it's very, it's very localised. Mm. Yeah. It's very localised. The local TD takes care of his little kind of patch. Mm. So we have a different kind of dynamic of, I, part of that was to do with fracking too and it was yeah. bad, you know. Um, and that's why I think that I always thought that it's okay to like um, search for oil and gas right off the coast where nobody lives. Yeah, yeah. Nobody sees that. It's off the coast. But fracking on land, oh no, that's terrible. Mm. There's a weird kind of, 
as if we're not a part of a greater system. We're just local. We're just here, and we don't interact with what's around us. We're just localized. Yeah. This this two square meters that I'm standing on, like kind of thing, almost. Yeah. And, and it's delusional. It's not true. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that's that's yeah that's another key issue there yeah which is why i suppose the 40 foot might be where the the campaign might be strongest you know because mm. they're going to you can you'll be able to see yeah. the infrastructure when they drill they're drilling there in 2018 in okay. summer so they'll they'll apply maybe around um june so the government was really sneaky this time they granted the consent to drill just when the government um when the doll had finished so that's like no classic tactic <laughs> yeah yeah no nobody nobody could raise in the doll it was raised in the shannon by grace sullivan uh i wrote the speech <laughs> <laughs> but but she was she's fantastic. She's a Greenpeace campaigner, so she knows a lot about it. Um, but the uh, they're going to do the same thing probably next year. They're going to grant the consent to drill probably around June, and they'll be drilling near the forty foot. So the camp yeah. the aim is to stop that. Uh, um, not here, not anywhere is the group, um, and they're putting all their effort into stopping drilling all across Ireland. Yeah. But um, the place that might be because that localized thing you were talking about um, might be most powerful there. At yeah. the 40 foot, you know, the yeah. naked men. There's a lot of people <laughs> there. So it's like the opposite of the West Coast. It's like yeah. super yeah, dense. Yeah, it's the East Coast. <laughs> it's literally the opposite of the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, and there's loads of humans. Yeah. As yeah. opposed to... Loads of humans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all there. They're all yeah. in yeah. estates. It's like estates just on the coast. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. Okay, we've kind of come full circle now. Um, So we should probably wrap up there. Um, is uh, Just to close, Um, if for anyone who wants to learn more about the campaign or wants to get involved, is there any resources or websites or whatever you can point them in the direction of yeah great so the the campaign um is not here not anywhere and um if there's it's kind of it's part of a global movement to say that um we shouldn't be fracking for oil and gas or looking for oil and gas exploration um in our own country or in other countries but if you if you search not here not anywhere ireland um online you'll find it on facebook on twitter um and other places as well and if you want to get in, in touch through any of those services I'll, I'll add you to the, um, the campaign group as well Okay so it's nearly time for us to wrap up now uh, we're coming up to time I think but um a couple of things I just want to talk about before we finish is well, one thing really is that uh, when I when I first heard about these liquefied natural gas terminals, um, I'd heard little. I'd only just recently learned about what liquefied natural gas was, and I didn't really think it was something that we'd be dealing with in Ireland because I always read about it in the context of Africa and Asia. Right. Um, but then I I, just, I did a just a quick search on it, and I came across a couple of articles, two mentions of it in the Irish Examiner, in the business section, right, and. One of the articles was called uh, "Wanted Less Complacency About Our Energy Needs," and I was reading through it, and it, it it said an awful lot of peculiar stuff um, and fanciful stuff about Trump's a positive climate re- record, and um, <laughs> talks a lot about how before Carib we were reliant on imports, as though the gas from Carib is benefiting us any more than imported gas it's yeah, effectively yeah. still an import because we're paying full for market rate my friend it's like that's no no major benefit but um yeah that's it just it, the, the article was very strange i mean i'll leave it up to you to, to read it for yourselves but like our examiner is very very right wing as, as i was reading through the article it's it it became apparent that it wasn't written by a journalist because it was all really messy and it was like just here's this point here's this point yeah. there was no kind of flow to it and when i got to the end it said david horgan 
is director of Irish exploratory company Petro Resources. Yeah. So he's the director of a, of a, a petrochemical exploration company. So um, why has he been given a platform to make those points in that paper? You know. Yeah. Why exactly? Yeah. Yeah. Like, wh- wh- pro business. Why is the paper acting as like that's an ad? That's essentially an ad. Absolutely, and justifying his position, his need to make money, um, to gain uh, projects to pull capital out of and get rich from, you know, for his own personal benefit and the benefit of his financial stakeholders. And uh, the main thrust of the argument seemed to be that by having these liquefied natural gas terminals and by exploiting the oil and gas near us, that we're, uh, we're not entering into risky markets. And he was talking about political risk of having it getting gas or oil from politically unstable countries but like what's more risky countries than countries you don't like basically yeah what's more risky than investing in a type of energy that's on the way out absolutely and that's exactly and that's the thing we should slowly. consider it old hat at this stage it needs mm-hmm. to be replaced it's too much of a it's too flawed for it to be effective and useful in the long term and uh, I mean we come back to the obvious thing of it needs to stay in the ground we want to stay within the one and a half to two degrees centigrade increase those stuff has got to stay in the ground we've got to move away faster than that you know not this slowly we'll get there eventually that's we haven't got time for that we haven't got mm. too much carbon now being burnt it's just it's just too bad for us so but yeah. the, there you go that's the profit motivation yeah it's always allowed to Short-term trump profit. succeed everything else mm. so that's what you know we have to find a way as a, from an organizing point of view of making the profit motivation be less powerful than the environmental motivation which can only come from like the people because it's the people in the hole who are going to suffer from this. Yeah, yeah. As it lo- as it looked to what we were talking about earlier in the episode, all the terrible <laughs> extreme weather events that are happening, you know, look to that and say that's a direct consequence, you know, mm. of that kind of thing. So add more carbon out into the environment, you know, it needs to stay in the ground. Simple as like, yeah. and that's been said by climate scientists many times over. Basically, yeah. And the the other article I found that mentioned LNG also from the Irish Examiner business section was written by. A guy, Joe Gill, from uh, Good Body Stockbrokers. And it was nine big ideas that could, was it, nine big ideas that could seriously progress Ireland. In the intro to the article, he mentions the IFSC and the 12.5% corporate tax rate as big ideas that have already progressed Ireland. Um, <laughs> both of those have had enormously positive effects on employment and opportunity for Irish people over recent decades. That's not true. That's really obviously not true. And anyone who lives yeah. in the real world knows that. Um, so we don't need to talk about that or disem- dis- or what's the word or we don't need to dig into that too much that's just blatantly untrue <laughs> well the the thing about the corporate tax rate is that like there's a very strong like it's something that's actually very popular so the tide is a little, little bit against us on that you know what I would say is that people say that if you increase the corporate tax rate which like that would be the hardest policy I think to change in the country by yeah, a yeah. mile that would be the toughest one to go for but it should happen and the an argument against it is that X number of companies will leave. And the thing about it is, that's probably actually true to a point. Yeah. But you would still actually, of the ones who actually do stay, mm. and they're not not every single company is going to leave the country. Do you know what I mean? Like we're, yeah. we're still a Western European country at the end of the day with our economy suffered really badly but but unfortunately for you know the poor people the rich people can make a lot of money here yeah so even with a higher corporate tax rate there will still be companies here and the amount of money that we will actually will be taken in then will, could benefit everybody in the country so i mean like so it's still there's still a very strong argument to say even if you comp- some companies leave we should still be m- much higher we've one of the lowest corporate tax rates in the world yeah. and it's it's an o- it's even, a hangover from like the colonial area that we need to get rid of like. it, it's true that companies would leave i'm sure they would and but it, it's arguable as to how that's a bad thing because by having them here 
it, it discourages the growth of native industry of, of local industry exactly. it makes it impossible like I mean I'm sure if you increased the wages of factory workers in Bangladesh or Nepal or China that a lot of companies would pull out of there but would that be worse for Bangladesh on a whole I mean, absolutely in, in yeah, the yeah. short term it might be it'll be difficult but like it would give the opportunity for sustainable investment in those places that is currently impossible because of the that's right the horrible trade you balance out the, the advantages and the disadvantages of any particular move Mm. And then you know, so this is you know, so that's that's one to to put that on the wish list. Yeah. Higher corporate tax rate for Ireland. But I just uh, to bring it back to this article, I just want to read out the reference to LNG and the liquefied natural gas. Uh, he's advocating for establishing these uh, this this delivery system, this port in Cork. And the point is, using a huge ship to handle large volumes of LNG from the US would strategically wean Ireland off a dependence on Eastern European supplies and provide competition and critical energy costs via the port of Cork for decades ahead. Why is it that supplies from the US, how are they any more stable than supplies from Eastern Europe? <laughs> he might be. He he might mean uh, Russia there. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. And Russia are bad, but it could also be from uh, other countries in between. But I know Russia supplies quite an awful lot. So, but that that's very vague. What what countries? There's a lot of countries in Eastern Europe. What countries are you talking about? Yeah. it's a little bit too vague. That's why I think maybe that's the reason why he said that. I don't know, but like, but it's, yeah. a, it's a, both of these articles seem to be saying that they've been peddling the the, the lie that. Shale gas has been a huge boon for the US, and it it, it has in some ways, but it's, not in the ways you want. Like, it's, it's not even efficient. Like, it's still it's still overall low yield, mm. even though it's helping their overall. They still need to import regardless. It's not good yeah. enough by itself, you know. And it's extremely dirty. And because it's because it's the 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 type of like it's more difficult to get out than like the more traditional, if you want to call it that. Like you'd be talking about liquefied natural gas and petroleum, you know. It's um it's so much dirtier and so much less efficient even and so it's even worse again, um so it's not useful for them or anybody else. It's just like a straw to cling on to basically, like clutching at straws. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to mention those two things because it's because it struck me as unusual to see that. In well, I'm not too familiar with the Irish Examiner, but the fact that both of those articles came from the Irish Examiner business section would give me pause for thought. Any time I've read from them, they seem to go yeah. very much with the like uh, the perspective of like you know the anti anti shell to sea and that kind of similar kind of vein. Mm-hmm. You know, always on that kind of part of the fence side of the fence. So. Um, there's a lot to, um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot happening between uh, this episode and the next episode. We'll be following up with the reaction and how we, it'll be crucial now to see the reaction that happens in uh, Donegal and Derry and Tyrone um, to those devastating floods. So we'll be, there'll be a lot of, um, there'll be a lot of uh, site focused on the activities of the local and national government and mm. the army and funds being released and all that happening now. So we'll be following up, I'm sure, on that in the next episode. Yeah. And uh, following up on all sorts of things to resist, as we were talking about um, the various uh, projects uh, for petroleum extraction and liquid natural yeah, gas extraction. Right on that. And uh, so in the meantime, if, uh, if you want to know what's going on in Ireland in relation to environmental matters, a very good website is greennews.ie. That's where we get some of our, um, some of our starting points in terms of what to look into. Uh, greennews.ie, they, they update fairly regularly. Um, and they're, they're a good news source. Um, so until next time I guess if anyone has any questions or corrections or arguments to make or if you want to contribute to the show in any way have an argument with us yeah do please please <laughs> have an argument with us uh, <laughs> you can email us at turningearthradio at gmail.com uh, you can also find some Facebook I think Turning Earth Radio is the URL as well and are we on Twitter? we are also on Twitter I don't think we're like doing, we're doing not much. massively active but it exists yeah. it's all good I'll be sending all sorts of angry tweets about things now from that account. Very good. 
Uh, catch you on the next episode, everybody. So long, folks.